if you really want cannabis, it is all over the state. Yeah. It will never not be. I mean, it is, it is out there. The difference is if the state steps in and regulates it, we create a safe space, one that's protected the patients, you know, yeah. the consumer, the doctors, the families, and it lets them have an open conversation. Welcome to State House, Chase. You and I have known each other a long time, been involved in politics a long time. Um, for those uh, who are listening and, and watching this podcast um, and don't know you, I think everybody does at the Capitol, uh, you are serving kind of two roles, Deputy Executive Director for a Coalition of Texans with Disabilities and and most recently as the Director of Policy and Advocacy for Texas Patients First Foundation, which is the reason we're here today, right? Yeah, and it's it's been a been a long journey to get to here. But uh and I never expected to to take on any of these roles. Uh we we moved up from um Harlingen, Texas, down down south when I was younger, back in the early nineties. We had a big farm. My dad sold the farm. We moved up here and he went to work for then uh, the ag commissioner, Rick Perry, before right. he moved up into all his other roles. And, uh, you know, back then at that age, I, I was I was pretty upset. I didn't want to leave the farm uh, to come up here for for my family and my dad to play politics. And, you know, for years I was just oh, I can't stand politics and. Somehow it, it, it seeped into, into my soul, and I've been uh, stuck there doing it ever since. Yes, and, you have. And I've, I've loved it. You know, I get to work with great people, and, you know, the purpose of what we're trying to do is actually helping people. So it, it's something that's it's exciting every day. It changes every day. Like playing chess, you're constantly moving right. on, on a game board, and uh, it's a challenge. It's definitely not a repetitive, uh, well, I guess when you when you got a bill that you've been trying to pass for a decade, maybe it is a little repetitive, but you know, it's not always like that. And when you get yeah. those wins and you know you're actually helping someone out there, yeah. uh, it, it's great feeling. And but you also I, don't take on small issues. Y'all always have your issues are always big issues that affect state budgets yeah. and everything else, but they're the most needy um yeah. uh Texans yeah. needing some of the biggest things, it seems like pretty hard to do at the Capitol. Yeah. If you, if you look at the state's budget, you know, a big portion of that is going to, you know, many in the disability community, keep them living in the community versus institutions, uh, helping them get back to school, mm -hmm. uh, you know, running Medicaid, which is an amazing program that does allow uh, many Texans with disabilities yeah. and, and those who are aging to stay at home versus ending up in an institution. Um, but yeah, we cover everything, you know, basically I think when you look at our mission statement, it is to make sure that people can live, um, and prosper in the environment that they want to be in. So it's all about access and that could be access to education, access to, um, healthcare, access to employment, um, access to medical cannabis. So, you know, we're working, we're a small group. I think this will be the strongest our advocacy team has ever been going into a, a legislative session we actually have 
uh, five of us working. Uh, usually it's just two of us, Dennis, yeah. our executive director and myself. And, uh, who I've known for a thousand years. Exactly. And, and, and Frank has, you've served on our board for many years in the yeah. past. And so, you know, a lot of the issues we've worked on and, but, you know, I think we're covering so many issue areas from criminal justice to education to appropriations. And I can say in all those years of working countless bills and across different committees, working on medical cannabis from the beginning has been one of those just crazy, interesting policy. I think it's yeah. it's almost like the the whale that everyone wants to land at some point because here we have something that was you know federally illegal and the states decided that they wanted to help many of their their members yeah so and, in 2015 this legislature um a conservative legislature passed um this is before i started working on this issue i know you were working on it mm -hmm. but passed the texas compassionate use act mm -hmm. which allowed for medical cannabis to be used by people with certain certain patients with certain conditions yeah. and um and it's grown over the years yeah. um adding more um adding more conditions adding a little bit more in the um THC content um so that it's a little that so it's more effective it hasn't reached the level that patients um like yourself which we can talk about in a second uh need yeah. But we're getting there, and I think the state is, you know, uh, I was thinking about this the other day. As much as people want to complain about Texas being the last one to get to this program and move it forward, it's actually been a benefit to Texas patients because it's more deliberative, um, more thoughtful. And if you look at other states that have, you know, blown it out, gone recreational, um, serious problems um, exist in those states. Yeah. And I think from the beginning, you know, it was funny. So we got a, a call from some of our members. It was a bunch of moms and they go by the name mamas. And a lot of their kids uh, deal with intractable epilepsy and, um, you know, some pretty serious disabilities, ones that really play, uh, have a big effect on your life. Right. Uh, you know, some of these kids were having 60 plus seizures a day ending up in the ER, you know, on emergency meds, trying to get some of these seizures under control. Uh, they weren't really going to school. They, they were struggling. And the medications that were currently available, you know, are, are rough. They're, they're not really made for kids. Yeah. And uh, they, needed, they needed something different. And when they came to us, I remember sitting in our office, it was a sunny day out, and they came in and we started talking and they said that they wanted our help in looking at how they could pass some kind of medical cannabis um, program in Texas that would benefit their kids. And Dennis and I, after all the years we'd been working up, they were like, oh, God, there's no way this is going to happen. Yeah. But we agreed. And, 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 you know, the great thing is they were willing to do the work. They were truly invested in this you know a lot of times we'll have people come up to us and say hey we want you to fix this but then we never hear from them again um, and that makes it difficult but these parents were they were diehard they were going to make sure their kids had every possibility of living the highest quality life as possible yeah. 
even if it meant going up against the federal government and the state government and doing what they had to do. And that's what they wanted. They wanted a safe, regulated system uh-huh. that would allow them to see if this would help their, their children. Now, I think something that people forget, you know, you, you hear a lot of people talk about medical cannabis and, and they'll talk in, in the terms of it is the miracle drug or the holy grail and it'll cure everything. And that's not the truth. It's just like any other medication. And that's how we should look at it. And I think that's how we've been trying to develop the state's program is keeping it very controlled in a medical um, system, involving your doctors, involving your families. And I think that was key is we want people to be open about talking about it. I mean, there was always a bad stigma, Uh but there are benefits to it. And it's just like any other medication. When you're talking with your doctor, you know, it's, and if you read the back of the the bag, your meds come in, it says there are side effects. There are, you know, but the doctor has determined that the side effects or the risk of what you're taking is less than not. And I think these parents just wanted a safe, regulated, legal way to see if they could help their kids. And man. We, they fought, they were in those halls every day. They went to every office. They drug their kids up there, stayed late. You know, for us, we're used to it. We get paid to sit and wait for a hearing. And it may be starting at eight in the morning and it may be two at night. That's just, that's just to be rejected. Yeah. Just to be rejected. (laughs) And when you're a family and you're raising a kid that has significant disabilities and you have other duties. You know, staying up that long is difficult, and they did it. I well, mean, that's what they, it took. It took, yeah, they took those mothers, those mamas, mm-hmm. to get it done. Because I think in a in a in a legislature that that is is not really predisposed to wanting to open up um, yeah. that kind of um, that that kind of treatment plan for yeah. a patient, um, the fact that they did it is is huge. Yeah, um, and it, and it's you know it's not a huge program. It wasn't huge, and it started off very small. And we mm-hmm. there are you know somewhere in the neighborhood of maybe fifteen to twenty thousand patients that currently take advantage of it. Yeah. Um, probably um, a few hundred doctors. But the problem was is that there's everybody's still you know nervous about what the the whole term marijuana means to a doctor's license. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, someone who goes to work and has to get a, a drug test. There's a lot of pieces to the puzzle that haven't yeah. been solved yet. But the, the bottom line to your point is it was it was a way for parents that really saw that there was no other option other than medicating their, their child into, you know, some kind of stupor um, yeah. is to find an alternative. Yeah. Something that helps, not not so it's not toxic, you know, something that was safe, something that was um that their doctor uh, said was that that could help. That's what yeah. you look for. Um, and what know. does a parent do at the end of the day? If you have a family member that's in significant pain is you're watching your child just, you know, deteriorate in front of you. You're going to do whatever it takes to help them. Yeah. And unfortunately before 2015, that could have been cause or, or, or called child abuse. If you were to try and, and find a way, you know, if you were going to go on the black market or go get something from a different state and bring it back. Yeah. 
Um, and I think, you know, there was still early on some issues with CPS and families. And I think it, it took going through those rough patches and some of these families standing up and saying, look, my child's quality of life, we're not doing this to harm them. This is, you know, improving their life. Um, we should be given a fair shake at this. And I do, I know some of those kids that were having 60 plus seizures a day, you know, and talking to them after that passed the next year and talking to their moms, you know, they were down to two or three small seizures a month versus 60 a day. Wow. They were going back to school. You know, they were able to verbalize more than they could before. So it, it drastically changed. Now, did it work for every single person? No. no. But nothing ever will. And that's, that's key is we got to give people options. And I think having a strong medical cannabis program in Texas, opening it up to more diagnoses, allowing doctors to really play a role in this, and the state's role being what a, a state should be, a regulator, a good regulator. Yeah. And that's what we want because we want to make sure what people are buying to use as medicine is consistent every time because otherwise that's not medical. You know, if you went and picked up your antibiotic and you never knew what milligram dosage it was one time, 100 milligrams, the next time 300, you know, you're not really treating it medically and scientifically. Right. And that's why it's so important to have a strong program and to expand it, to open it up so that we can have a good program, one that is cost-effective to those who want to be part of it. Because yeah. that is an issue still, is cost. Well, that's something you and I talk about a lot, mm -hmm. and that is um, that, you know, what we're trying to do is, we're it, it, and, and part of this is educating yeah. a, a lot of different people, regulators, uh, policymakers, consumers, uh, general public, um, into understanding that... Um, at least for the Texas Patients First Foundation and the Coalition of Texas Disabilities, our focus is a, a strong, regulated, safe, effective, therapeutic, uh, patient-centered um, program where, you know, we've talked a lot about um, how the patients that can't get relief in the traditional way um, or don't want uh, the traditional, uh, you know, pharmaceuticals like opioids, and I, I want you to talk in a minute yeah. about about your um, your your situation and how you transitioned. Um, that they're going to go find it, and they'll either go to another state or they're going to go find something on the illicit market. And we don't want them doing that because there's a lot of danger. You don't know what you're getting. It's not regulated. Um, you're you know, if you go across state lines, you're committing a crime. Uh, if you get it on the illicit market, it could be adulterated with fentanyl or some other, who knows? So, you know, we've been talking about, you know, shifting those patients out of that illicit market and into uh, the control of a state-regulated program that works. Something that, you know, a physician board could help determine whether or not um, certain expansions need to occur, what dosage, all those things are really, really important. And treat it like a real treatment and not like um, an illicit product. So, yeah, I, you, know, you and I have talked about that many, many times is uh, the education part of this is is the biggest part of it. Yeah, and, and that's, I think, 
even my family, when I started telling them I was going to be working on this and when I originally told my parents, you know, that I was going to try it myself to see if it, how much it might affect me in helping me come off opioids. Um, you know, it was that original, uh, you know, crickets. <laughs> and I think that stigma from the past carried on. Yeah. And, and I still remember all those, uh, dare programs that, you know, in school and all everything right. and, and my parents, um, you know, so I didn't know how family would react to the idea at that time. Um, but for me, you know, I, I got injured as a gymnast a couple of years after we moved up here, uh, after we sold the farm, my dad went to work for, for Rick Perry at that time. And I broke my neck in an early morning workout doing too many flips, you know, hit face first, my back hit the back of my head. You know, it was a mm. serious break. It paralyzed me from the chest down, lost the use of my hands my triceps and, and everything below. Um, I use a manual wheelchair to get around every day. And, you know, over that time, you know, your body isn't meant at 17 to basically push a chair for years and years without all those core muscles and all those things, you know, when you've been sitting for a long time and your back's hurting, you get up, you stretch, you walk around, you know, that's not really an option. And, as my years went on, you know, I started looking for ways to deal with that. And I remember early on in my injury, you know, a doctor every now and then would say, hey, you know, you could try that. I didn't tell you this, but it might be an option if you go. And this was before, you know, it was legal anywhere. Uh, and a lot of spinal cord injuries to deal with the pain and the spasms, um, it was pretty well known that try cannabis. And at that point, you know, early on when I was trying to make a living, trying to go to school, um, that was really the only option. I didn't even have health insurance at that point. So mm. I couldn't even go the legal route to get opioids to help with the pain or anything because I just couldn't afford it. So I started trying at night. I, I would try a little and it would help me sleep and, and it would help reduce the pain some. And I did that for a while and that was about you know, and I didn't tell anybody. I kept that hidden. This was a long that time most ago. Most people do. Yeah. And um, about that time, you know, my job at St. David's Medical Center, I, I was working doing adaptive sports programs with kids and stuff that knew injuries, helping them get back into the public and, and living their lives after an injury. And um, it went from for, nonprofit to for-profit and our program kind of dwindled out. So I went to work for, for CTD. And started doing advocacy work and, and learning about it. And what year was the, that? Oh, uh, that was back somewhere, I think near 2000, okay. somewhere in there. Um, and I'd been there a couple of years after that, and we were up at the Capitol. And at that point, it was Governor Perry, not no longer Commissioner Perry. Um, we'd been in a meeting, and I remember. At the end of that meeting, he was helping Dennis and I out on an issue we were working on, and we left. And when I got back to the office, I had had an email saying, you know, the governor wants you to uh, apply to an appointment um, in the Board of Architects. And I was like, oh, and it's a very specific position because the Board of Architects has three public members, but one of them has to have a physical disability. Yeah. And there was a reason for that early on was when the ADA passed, they wanted someone, I guess the disability community didn't trust fully that the architects were going to implement 
the ADA. So they, they put that public position in there and, and it's not always the easiest one to, to fill, but I felt like we just went and asked the governor for a favor to help us fix something. I, this is one of those things you're going to learn a lot about architecture for six years um, and, and serve in there. And I got everything done, turned in, went to the appointments office to meet with them and said, you know, I'm turning this in. It was a, a request from the governor's office to, for me to do this. And after our long discussion, as I'm leaving, she goes, there's just one thing you need to know. And I was like, what's that? She goes, don't do anything that will embarrass the governor or end up in a headline. And I'm like, okay. So here, here's this guy in a wheelchair that does advocacy work. And I'm thinking, what could, what could you possibly, what could I possibly do? Who's going to really say, oh, well, let's go get him. But I was like, you know, I now have health insurance. Maybe, maybe I need to go talk to the doctor and, and find some way to, to deal with my pain and my spasms. And that way, you know, I don't ever have to worry about messing up because the last thing, you know, Dennis used to tell me is like, look, as a nonprofit, we have to work in a different way. We, we don't have, you know, contributions. We don't have right. anything like that. You know, our, the only reason a legislator will listen to us is if we can consistently be a good source of information right. and, you know, we, we keep our, our name, you know, as clean as possible and that it represents we're here not on a, you know, completely bipartisan we're just here to help our members so that being said i was like I, I, i'm gonna go to the doctor and i talked to him i said what can i do and he goes well i can write you a prescription for opioids <laughs> okay you know and at that time i was young well, was i didn't thing. know that, that was, was big that was when everything yeah. was being pushed out was yeah. opioids became the almost like the aspirin mm -hmm. that doctors were being told was okay yeah. To, to uh, prescribe large doses of it. Yeah. And yeah. at that time, they, they gave me, I could take one in the morning, one at night, you know, insurance covered. I think at that time it was like $10. Um, and it worked great at the beginning. Problem is, is that over time, you keep having to take more and more and the, the doctor would increase it and increase it. And at the, you know, towards the, after a decade, now I'm getting 180 of them a month for $30. Wow. I mean- Who's going to, you know, insurance isn't paying for you to go to physical therapy. They're, they yeah, much rather. Talk a little pay. bit about that. We were yeah, talk, we talked about that earlier about the, the reason why most people end up in, with opioids. Yeah. I mean, just the structure of our healthcare system. If you have a chronic, you know, health related issue that could be bad back, it could be anything, you know, usually the first, first source that, that they go to, the doctors go to, it's not usually sending someone to PT, you know, because most people's insurance, even though they have to pay out their deductible before their PT is covered, or it's an unlimited amount a year that they get it. All right. So it's not really enough. That's not the first thing they usually turned to back then. It, first thing they turned to was the cheapest route, and that was opioids. Yeah. Because um, pharmaceuticals are covered. Yeah. And by the end of that, and I mean, these are all generics. There are no new pain meds. This is a generic um, industry that's just was pumping out pills. And, uh, you know, the next step for me at that point, the doctor was like, well, we can add another opioid on top of it. Cause we've maxed out how much of this you can have a day. So now we can add this other one to it. Now I'd be taking two. And 
I was having more problems with those because during long legislative hearings, you know, I never kept the pills in my, on me or with me, but my body every four hours, it was like a clock. It was like, it's time to take your meds. You know, you don't have a choice. And I'd have to roll back to my truck real quick, you know, take one, get back in there. And I just, I got to a point where I was like, I'm not seeing the big picture like I used to. It was really affecting my, my work outcomes and my, just my overall energy. It was having a cognitive effect on on you. Yeah. And just the pain was still there. It was just different pain. It was more after every four hours, my body was fighting me wanting that next medication. And it's not that it was an addiction. It was that my body had a dependency at that point. I mean, it, it does finally changes. And after a decade, I don't care who you are, your body's, it's hard to come off of. Um, and at that time, I finally decided I, I'm done with this. I, I'm going to work my way off them. You know, and I got down from taking six to eight of them a day to about two or three. But that last part was so hard on my body that it was hard making that transition. And, and even Dennis noticed that once I finally did, he was like, your eyes are clearer, you know, you're, you're, able to work longer than you used to. But to get there, it was kind of a a weird journey. We ended up, um, I have a family member who was dealing with a lot of health issues and, you know, doctors couldn't really figure out what would work best for her. And we decided um, one summer we were going to go up and spend three weeks in Colorado. This is after they had opened up their medical and everything. We rented a place and we were going to go get different things and let her try and see how it affected her um, and see if it was something that would benefit her. Cause the doctors had kind of thrown up their hands with it and couldn't figure out what would work for her. while we were there. You know, we, we had this choices. I mean, there were so many choices at that point, you know, we'd gotten different things and I was like, you know, I'm going to try these, this tincture, you know, it didn't drop or two. And I'm thinking this is right before dinner. I'm like, It'll be interesting to see what it does. Um, and it was like a one-to-one ratio, so it wasn't anything super strong. And within like 15, 20 minutes, my body just calmed. Like the spasms, the tightness in my legs and in my back just relaxed. And at that moment, I knew, I was like, oh, I'm going to start halving today, tonight. I'm going to half my opioid amount. And I did. And all I had to do was one or two drops in the morning, one or two drops at night. And it was enough to help slowly work that off. And so I had to do, I had to make a decision. Do I stay on opioids? I don't think I can get off them without something. And there are medications to help you come off those mm-hmm. that you can get through insurance. But I had a doctor that was actually kind of nervous about prescribing it to me because he was afraid the moment he did, he has to write in their addiction. No. That is part of it. And he's like, that'll be in your file forever. I didn't know that. And so I, I talked to my wife and talked to my family and said, you know, I want to try this. And, you know, I had to break the law. Mm-hmm. I, just, I don't want to. I never wanted to. And I felt like I was. Well, that should, you know, and, and that's a good point. I mean, that should never be the option for a patient. Yeah. You know, we're not talking about patients that are trying to get high. No, we're, we're, we're not even talking about that. We're talking yeah. about trying to get relief, get healthy relief and be able to go back to work and, full and functional. Time. Yeah. And, 
you know, that I think that that very that very point is the thing that is very difficult to bridge with policymakers and regulators and and um you know just general public yeah. and and I and I'm like you I mean I I when I was going to work on this issue you know I've got two boys you know one's 24 one's 18 you know they're and I had to sit down and talk to them about what I was doing because you know for me I've been working many many healthcare issues over the lifetime of of uh, of being a a lobbyist and and uh, and a public affairs consultant for many many companies and and it's always been a lot of pharmaceutical work even some of that you know you have to you know you have to think about how are you approaching that with you know with policymakers but this is a little different you know and but the there is a statute it was created um, to allow it. And I think that if we stay within that lane and we keep sort of keep people honest about what this is all about, then I think, you know, that we can grow this program for patients that really need it, you know, and, and I think we all agree, you know, nobody's looking for that sort of, um, you know, for it to creep into mm -hmm. other areas and to, to make it easier for people who are trying to get the intoxicating effect to go. We don't, nobody wants that. At least none of us do. We're not looking for that. Well, and I remember early on when we were first trying to get those first votes, you know, there, I had to make some very long-term commitments to a lot of legislators who their fear was it was a slippery slope hmm. that you get this passed. The next thing you'll be coming back to us wanting to open it direct. And, and that's where my boss and I, because our board, when we first approached them about doing this, because we usually, if it's something controversial like that, you know, we like to sit down and let them have a, a, a strong decision in this. The first time we approached them about it, they did not want to do it. You know, and we said, hang on, before you vote on it, give us two months to supply you with a lot of information. Yeah. And, and let's let's have a debate and a discussion about this, not close the door on it, because we see some benefits that could be there, but we need to do it right. We need to be at the table helping make it right yeah. so we don't open a program that that's more harmful in the long run versus exactly. beneficial. And Like some other states have done and regretted it. Yeah. And they can't go back. You know, that's the yeah. problem. Once you've opened it up, it's very difficult to go back. Yeah. And, you know, that was key is we, those long-term commitments we made to legislators was CTD is only in this to come to you for a medical program because what we saw in talking to other people in other states, even that worked in the field who had originally started, you know, working there because of medical were disappointed when rec came in because it shifted yeah. the, the attention away from actually making a product that was significantly, you know, tailored to the medical world. Um, because they started looking at profit margins. So we've always pushed and always stayed and really only want a medical program that if you need it, you have access and that you have access to enough choices because it doesn't, you know, one tincture or one edible, you know, might not be the right mix for that person. Right. And well, it isn't for pharmaceuticals and exactly. everybody's different. And I know that one of the issues that we worked on together years ago was, um, you know, trying to uh, help uh, patients with uh, seizure disorder and epilepsy 
stay on the medication that they were on because for seizure disorder or epilepsy, it doesn't take much, even if they were on a generic. So I remember um, having a difficult time, you know, explaining to people that we're not here to try to protect some company's drug. We're trying to say that no matter what they're on, that they if they're if they're being maintained and they've gone from hundreds of seizures to very few, then then they you know allow them to stay on that drug. And I, I remember how much pushback we got on all that because they didn't understand everybody's biology is different. Yeah, and same thing same thing with medical cannabis. Yeah. And you know you know one of the things too is it's it's also difficult. I think to explain to people, unless you have something um, where you need that alternative, um, it's difficult to explain how important it is as an alternative. I mean, you do have drugs that they use off-label. It's very similar. Um, there's drugs we're not meant for that, but they're used off-label because they provide a benefit. And I may not have told you this story before, but when my wife uh, got uh, malignant uh, melanoma, uh, metastatic melanoma, excuse me, in 2015. And one of the things, uh, and, and this wasn't available in 2015, I think they were just passing this legislation in 2015 and we didn't know anything about it. The only thing that, uh, treatment that she could get was immunotherapy. That was it. And it had just come out and insurance, you know, was fighting us to pay for it. They didn't want to pay for it. And all this time, you know, she's, Sitting there dying. Every in day front of matters. Me. Every day mattered. And um, I remember um, thinking, you know, at the time, I'll do anything, anything that I could find to help her. And one of the things that I look back on is, you know, she had uh, what many cancer patients get, which is wasting disease. They don't, they don't eat. They don't want to, they don't have any appetite and they just, they, they just waste away. And I know that there's people, and and I know they've added cancer to um, the conditions, and that's so incredibly important because if you can give them some nutrients and they can help themselves uh, to to fight off, um, you know, the effects of the cancer, but also the effects of the of the drugs they're taking. I mean, the immunotherapy she was taking was harsh. It was, it was harsh. It was deadly, and she only lasted eight weeks. So if you look at eight weeks, every single hour counts. It wasn't years. It was weeks. So, you know, I have a different view about this program as you do. Very personal. Um, and I think that's hopefully what, you know, the uh, policymakers and regulators, the public will get out of our conversation is, is that there are a lot of us out there. And you know, we want to hear from all those people, right? I mean, you know, we want to hear from physicians that can give us stories about it, uh, um, about their patients. We want patients to talk to us. We want families, anybody, you know, we want to, we want to create enough information flow for the legislature that they're comfortable, that they're not doing something that's, that's outside. The You're actually helping Texas patients by doing this. And I think it, it, it's really important for those out there, especially for legislators, sometimes they get pressures from some of their other constituents and groups and donors um, that may still not understand fully why the medical side is so important. Um, And I think that's, that's a spot where we can all step in and and help educate them and that 
what we're really trying to do is create a strong medical program that's regulated. Because let's face it, if you really want cannabis, it is all over the state. Yeah. It will never not be. I mean, it is, it is out there. Um, the difference is if the state steps in and regulates it, then we create a safe space, one that's protected the patients, you know, yeah. the consumer, the doctors, the families, and it lets them have an open conversation. And I think that's a key part of what we want in our in our state government. We Absolutely. want them to do the right thing. And the right thing is to make sure that you and I and the next person who's going through that, who's got a family member that they will do whatever they have to, give them a safe, regulated space that they can try that. Because, I mean, we passed right to try. Mm-hmm. Um, yep. When it came to, you know, experimental medications, to give people that option. I mean, this is incredibly Texas. important. Yeah. You should have the right to decide what's going to work best for you or your family. Will it work? Not always, but if it does and it improves someone's life yeah. and it lets them go back to church, it lets them go back to school. Yeah. It lets them take care of their family and all and it with is. Their family and their kids to live a life. Yeah. Then it's a good thing. Yeah. And it's something that we should take serious and that the state should really put some thoughtful time into, into it. And not just, you know, and that's the hard thing about a, a legislative session. It's six months of nose to the grindstone. Wow. Um, so having open discussions ahead of time, family members, people just speaking up about it who want to try it, you know, and let's start really talking about it and let's get legislators Interested in, in helping us improve it, not just having to, oh gosh, we've got to have this conversation again. Right. Um, right. Let's make it a strong program so they don't have to have the conversation again. Yeah. You know, and, and get it going. And, and I applaud DPS for moving forward with creating a work group that will really start taking some of the, the patient's point of views, the, the industry's point of views, and, and others, and those who aren't even connected at all. I want to say that DPS, given what they were given, has done an incredible job. I mean, let's face it. What they were given was, a, oh, crap. Yeah. You know, it, <laughs> here's something that y'all are going to have to run, but it's still federally illegal and the state passed it. I mean, this they, is a policy uh, dream to work on. I but, so respect those guys over there yeah. because, you know, when I first started getting involved in in this I really didn't have, you know, I, I didn't know whether or not I was going to be able to get much done because you had an enforcement agency, law enforcement agency running a, a program for a product that is considered federally illegal. And that they had been going after for decades. For decades. Yeah. And they have done a phenomenal job with what they have to work with. And they're great to work with. These guys really yeah. care. They've They've done the best they can to open up the program. You know, one of the things they're doing right now is uh, adding more providers. And, you know, one of the things you also, you and I have talked about is part of the reason when you have a very restrictive program, and when I say restrictive, sometimes it's it's not a direct restriction, it's an indirect restriction. And one of the restrictions is there's only one provider and uh, essentially one provider in the state of Texas. And what that creates is a very expensive product. So if people can't afford that product, which they're not going to be able to get covered with insurance, 
they're going to go find it cheaper because people don't have that kind of money to go and constantly. They may be able to get it once, maybe twice, maybe not at all. But um, so we want, so what DPS is doing is creating more licensees to provide or more providers so that we can get the, to the price and the effectiveness and the safety um, profile, you know, really uh, is better than it's ever been. And I think that in this next year, this year, we're going to see some, some huge changes. And, um, you know, the, the bottom line, I think that you and I talk about all the time is we just want to work with the state. We don't, we're not trying to work against the state. We're asking them to help us, to help them. The program's there. Yeah. Program exists. Let's make it work. Um, if you just leave the program as is and you don't try to make it better, then you're just creating a, a worse situation for, for patients. Yeah. So, you know, I just want to thank you for, for being here. Uh, I mean, you, it, it's always just great talking to you. You've got some incredible um, history in the, the Texas legislature and um, it's just great to work with. Um, and I think this next session will be, um, you know, really powerful, uh, some powerful changes to the, to the program. And um, so uh, we, we appreciate your time at state house and um, hope you come back again. Definitely. And I, and I appreciate all y'all have done. And uh, you know, I look forward to working on this. It, it's one of those things that in the day you're, you're changing it's a paradigm shift and it's something that's helping people yeah and it's the right thing to do and i think that i think the state's going to get there we just got to work through through this session and make it happen so thanks for your time absolutely all right thank you chase thank you for joining me today on this episode of the state house podcast today's show is made possible through a generous donation from my friends at air wellness Air Wellness is one of the most innovative and fastest growing vertically integrated U.S. multi-state cannabis operators. The company's mission is to drive positive impact for their patients, their customers, their employees, and the communities they serve. For more information, please visit airwellness.com. That's A-Y-R wellness.com. If you're enjoying this podcast, please subscribe to our YouTube channel. In addition, consider subscribing on Apple and Spotify, where you can leave us a five-star review. If you're not already following us on social media, you can find those links below in the show notes. As always, thank you for your continued support, and we'll see you next time.